This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 12, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. The SEC's account on X hacked. And while it was funny and embarrassing, very embarrassing, it also raises a number of important questions about the SEC's role in setting rules for private firms, the even-handed application of its rules, and its curious demands for volumes of sensitive data from those same firms. Cato's Jennifer Shelf explains what we should take away. The Securities and Exchange Commission likes mandating things. It's their job to mandate things on private parties in the interest of consumer protection and investor protection. But their Twitter account was hacked and they sort of, it appears sheepishly admitted, yeah, we didn't really have two-factor authentication on And this wasn't without consequence, right? No, it it wasn't without consequence. So what happened, or at least what we know happened, was the SEC's Twitter account posted a piece of information saying that Bitcoin ETFs had been approved. Looked pretty official. Had a little nice shiny photo of Gary Gensler with a quote from him talking about the approval. And upon the news of that, the Bitcoin price rose. About 20 minutes later, the SEC, on the same Twitter account, announced that the account had been compromised. And in fact, Bitcoin ETFs had not been approved. And not surprisingly, the price of Bitcoin then fell. This type of say, news from a regulator is expected to move markets. So it's not a surprise that it did. It just turned out that the news was not true (laughs) based on, I would say, someone, as we know it now, getting a hold of the SEC's Twitter account. So this raises a lot of different issues all at once. One is that it should be at least a little humiliating that the SEC is in charge of putting on mandates on private parties in order to protect consumers, as far as that's the part of their mandate, and yet they seemed unable to provide for their own security. Yes, and that is an enormous problem and should be a giant black eye to the agency that it shouldn't recover from anytime soon. Even this is kind of a multi-layered problem. After the SEC announced that their account had been compromised, folks on Twitter managed to go back and find several tweets from the SEC from a couple of months earlier saying, don't trust everything you read on the internet. The best source of information about the SEC is the SEC, which is astounding, hilarious, and embarrassing. So the SEC itself created a consumer protection problem here by not securing its own social media feed. But the SEC has also been very active and very vocal about ensuring that the entities that it regulates have strong data protection and cybersecurity requirements, going so far as to put into place a new set of rules for public companies that came into effect recently that are pretty onerous, requiring public companies to disclose any sort of cyber attack within four days, including the reason for that attack, and a whole host of other requirements. We actually saw a number of members of Congress send letters to the SEC requiring the SEC to hold itself to the same standard 
and expecting a disclosure from the SEC within four days of the hack about what happened and how it could be prevented again. Is the SEC going to be able to live up to that? I doubt it. So it's a a bad case of rules for thee, but not for me. It seems clear to me, at least, that there's probably a profit motive here for somebody to hack the SEC's X account. We were calling it Twitter because we're old, but because you make that announcement and presumably if you're positioned well before you uh, make this fake announcement on the behalf of the SEC, you then move the market, you take your profits. And then when the SEC resecures its account, perhaps you make another move in order to profit again. And that's the standard explanation for why you would try to engage in some type of market manipulation. What's actually interesting here is that the Bitcoin market is not under the SEC's jurisdiction. So the SEC itself couldn't actually go after someone for manipulating the Bitcoin market. It might be the CFTC. It might not be anyone that that could bring this type of case. What's interesting in the crypto world is it didn't actually move the market all that much because the anticipation that the Bitcoin ETFs were going to be approved by the SEC was already baked into the price. So the price movement was a lot smaller than you might have otherwise expected it to be. So some have theorized that really this wasn't much of a move to manipulate the market. It was rather just trolling the SEC. and. Regardless of whether it was to manipulate a market for a profit motive or just to make the SEC look bad, the SEC should have never allowed itself to be put in that type of position by not doing basic security requirements that it generally would be expected for best practices for any business, let alone the government, to have on its accounts. So with Bitcoin ETFs, this allows people to engage in a wider variety of transactions with respect to Bitcoin. Is that right? That's right. And I think what we haven't said thus far is that the Bitcoin ETFs, more accurately ETPs, which doesn't make much of a difference for this conversation, but I feel like I needed to say it anyway, were actually approved the next day when it was generally anticipated that they would be approved. So opening up trading in Bitcoin ETFs allows a lot of different investors easier access to Bitcoin. People who don't want to deal with self-custody themselves, people who are interested in dealing with bigger known players in the financial system. So we not only had crypto-specific players that are now sponsoring ETFs, BlackRock, Fidelity and others that are names that people already have in their retirement accounts are now much more heavily involved in the Bitcoin ETF market. So to the extent that the Bitcoin ETFs, the announcement from the SEC that these investment products were going to be allowed soon, that it was in process, that in some ways, it seems like the fact that Bitcoin itself is not subject to SEC regulation, at least in this case with this hack, is a feature, that it's not a bug, that if if this had been Target or some other large firm that is under SEC jurisdiction, that perhaps the market would have been moved more significantly? 
You know, it's interesting. Maybe. I mean, we've certainly seen hacks of uh, public companies that have had effects on their stock prices. The Bitcoin ETF is kind of a long saga. And it's not always the case that an ETF approval is something that we know to be forthcoming. What happened here, I mean, this is, this is on the, the end of 11 years of trying to get Bitcoin ETFs approved. The first denial of a Bitcoin ETF came in 2013, I believe. And recently, um, last summer, the D.C. Circuit considered the SEC's denial of the grayscale Bitcoin ETF application. For years, the SEC had been denying these applications, saying, no, 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 we, we, we think the Bitcoin market is subject to fraud and manipulation, and we can't allow ETFs to trade over the Bitcoin market. That got muddied in the waters because the SEC, a couple of years ago, approved a Bitcoin futures ETF. I don't want to get into the details of that, except to say that the futures market and the spot market, the Bitcoin market itself, are obviously connected. When the SEC denied the most recent grayscale application, this was after the futures product had already been approved, and the D.C. Circuit took a look at that and said, eh, not so fast, SEC. If you're going to allow the futures market, you have not adequately explained why you can't have a Bitcoin spot ETF finding, okay, in the dreaded lawyer words, that the SEC's actions were arbitrary and capricious, which basically means you did a bad job with your reasoning, SEC. You can't let that stand. After the D.C. Circuit came out with this opinion, it was likely that the SEC's next move was going to be to approve Bitcoin ETFs. And the longer it took after the D.C. Circuit's opinion, the SEC started interacting with Bitcoin ETF sponsors, asking them to tweak their applications. It looked very likely that we were going to get approvals. So in this particular circumstance, the market had a lot of additional data to bake in to the price, the fact that approvals were probably coming. So that speaks to, tell me if I'm wrong, that makes the case for more objective criteria for the SEC to make approvals or denials. Oh, it already, it absolutely does. In so many circumstances, the SEC needs more objective criteria. What's interesting here... But the fact that the market responded in the way that it did seems to say, hey, markets like a lot of the, like clarity. They like uh, information that they can make decisions about and form their own expectations uh, about where prices are headed. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. Whether the market actually now has clarity about future ETF or ETP approvals in crypto is a very large open question. The approvals that came down this week were voted three to two by the commission in kind of an interesting breakdown. Chairman Gary Gensler, who is no friend to crypto, voted in favor, as did the two Republican commissioners, Commissioner Mark Ueda and Commissioner Hester Peirce, who also goes by the nickname Crypto Mom. So I think that tells you where Commissioner Peirce stands with respect to crypto. Commissioner Ueda, with his approval, put out a statement kind of walking through what the approvals meant. 
and pointing out a lot of places where there still is not a lot of clarity about what the SEC is going to do in the future with any crypto ETFs. So even though the D.C. Circuit has weighed in here and said, bad job, SEC, the SEC eventually came down and, and agreed with the D.C. Circuit's outcome. It's not clear that what we have is clarity. And we really, clarity is desired across the board for whatever the SEC is going to do here. But it's a, it's a continuing mess with respect to crypto products that might come to market as securities through an ETF. One other question here related to the SEC's own security is that the SEC demands all manner of information from companies that are under its jurisdiction or people, people who are trying to get approvals for particular investment products. And you know, as we've seen in cases with the IRS, with the leaking of super rich people's IRS records, it would seem that the case for the government having lots and lots of information that you know, they're not supposed to make public, it seems to weaken the case to for giving that information to the government in the first place. It absolutely does. I mean, the SEC has already been hacked that led to insider trading charges several years ago. What was interesting about that case is that the SEC didn't even notice that it had been hacked for years. It's a very dangerous situation with respect to data security. And there are new databases coming online that the SEC is requiring, specifically one called the Consolidated Audit Trail, which collects personally identifiable information about every investor who is trading. It connects any trade that you might make with your name. And that information is all going to go into a giant SEC database. Some people have called this database the, the potentially largest database in the world because it tracks all trading volume in the United States. The SEC's data protection on that, I don't have any faith in it. Not only should the SEC not be collecting that information in the first place, there's Fourth Amendment surveillance problems with this, but it's not clear that the SEC needs information about individuals to be in that database. There were ways for the SEC to find out that information otherwise. And all of these issues had been raised with the SEC prior to this database going live. Um, the SEC, in fact, solicited information from um, the industry, from individuals about how to protect the data, kind of recognizing that maybe they weren't striking the right balance. What's amazing is that they got all of that information and then did nothing with it. There's been no update to the data protection. And the database is now going live. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And it's not a matter of, you know, if, it's a matter of when. It's creating a giant honeypot of information about people's trading behavior, information about their finances, information about how they view the world. Because our trading can say a lot about how we think about the prospects of companies, the prospects of ideas. Why wouldn't you want to hack into that? It's just a question of when. Jennifer Shelp directs financial regulation studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>